And here we go. Okay, welcome to Kathanika episode two. And I've got a special guest today, John Langan. John, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, everybody. Thanks very much for having me. It's a great pleasure to be here. Absolutely. And I asked John to come on and we're going to talk about a, a specific author who's left a real impression on him. Uh, let me introduce John, though, in case you, you're not familiar with his work. Uh, John is one of the most recognized and best loved names on the weird and horror fiction scene today. Uh, his collections include The Wide Carnivorous Sky and Other Monstrous Geographies, uh, Sapphira or Sapphira? Sapphira. Sapphira and Other Betrayals. And you've got some terrific uh, covers here, especially, I love this one, Children of the Fang uh, and Other Genealogies. Uh, and um, as well as Mr. Gaunt and Other Uneasy Encounters. I don't have a copy of that. I have heard rumors that it might be reprinted. That is, those rumors are true. It'll okay. it'll be out within the next couple of months from uh, oh. from Word Horde Press. Oh, awesome! Very good. Um, and then also, of course, uh, uh, he's the author of um, novel uh, the novel House of Windows and uh, the book he's probably best known for, The Fisherman, winner of the 2016 Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in a Novel. Um, there's also a very good audio book version of that that I enjoyed. Um, uh, he also teaches on the collegiate level and is an essayist and prolific reviewer, most prominently at Locus Magazine. So, John, yes, welcome to Cathonica. Um, Thank you. When yes. I'm introduced like that, it sounds really good. I'm like, oh, wow, <laughs> it's who is that guy? You've you done know? stuff. Right, and, exactly. And he's got a family, too. That's awesome. Right. Um, so, John, I asked you to pick a story as, 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 a, as a guy in who's very much there in the horror and weird fiction scene. Uh, I asked you to, to pick a story or two from an author that just who just knocked your socks off, stories that left a mark on you. And you chose... Uh, Kelly Link. Kelly um, Link. Kelly Link, where is my... Oh, here we go. Tell us and, who, who uh, is... I, I chose uh, Kelly wow. Link, Magic for Beginners. Yes, yes. Um, Here, let me... Um, here's a little bit of uh, uh, a bio for uh, for Kelly. Um, so uh, she's, she's known as a short fiction writer, although she has just finished a novel, uh, yes. which is like a thousand pages long or something insane like that. So, oh, wow. um, yeah, yeah. Um, she, um, her, her stuff has appeared in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Um, it's been reprinted in the best American short stories, uh, prize stories, the Henry awards. Um, and she has three books. Uh, the uh, three collections of stories, Stranger Things Happen, Magic for Beginners. Oh, no, what, four, technically, because she's got Pretty Monsters, too, yeah. uh, and, and Get in Trouble. Pretty Monsters reprints. It, it's more targeted at a, at a sort of young adult um, mm-hmm. uh, audience. Uh, with, her, uh, with her husband, Gavin Grant, she also uh, co-founded Small Beer Press, which has um, put out some amazing work. Uh, it's published, uh, it published her first two collections. Um, it's also published writers uh, like Nathan Ballingrid, uh, uh, Karen Joy Fowler, um, uh, <sighs> Sophia Samatar. So yeah, so if you get a chance, um, uh, check out their, uh, their website. They also publish um, a, a, a zine uh, called uh, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet. Um, if you get a chance, take a look at that. The most recent issue has a, uh, a new novella by Sarah Langan, uh, No Relation, oh, yeah. uh, called uh, You Have the Prettiest Mask, which is oh, wow. insane and, and oh, absolutely yeah. worth your time. Uh, she's won uh, the World Fantasy and Shirley Jackson Awards. Um, uh, her story, Magic for Beginners, uh, won the 2005 Nebula Award. 
um, and the Ferry Handbag won the Hugo, Nebula, and Logos Awards. Um, she also, Magic for Beginners, uh, won the 2006 Locus Award. Uh, her collection, Get in Trouble, was a finalist for the, the 2016 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. And in 2018, she was awarded uh, the MacArthur Fellowship, what they call the MacArthur Genius Grant. The, the Genius um, Grant, yes. Yeah, the elusive yeah, Genius is, Grant. That is a, yeah, right, big, right. a big deal right there. Yeah, and for, for somebody who's written three collections of stories, um, who's certainly done editing work, she also early on edited an anthology called Trampoline, um, and, uh, um, but Neil Gaiman has, has called her unique and should be declared a national treasure. Uh, Peter Straub has called her the most impressive writer of, uh, of her generation. And, um, I've, I've known Kelly since, man, I want to say 2003, I think was the oh, first wow. time I, I met her. And, um, I see her like on a, on a, uh, most years I see her in uh, February at Boscone and July at ReaderCon. And, cool. you know, we would sort of hang out for a little bit, chat, catch up, that sort of stuff. Um, and she's, um, she's a delightful person. Um, she's, uh, she's a big horror fan. And um, uh, a lot of her stories, I, I think, are either out and out horror stories, or at the very least, I guess we would say sort of horror adjacent or, or yeah. something like that, yeah. uh, which she's been quite, you know, quite happy with, you know, like, like I know some writers are like, don't use yeah. the H word. Um, <laughs> but but she's, uh, um, she's been quite, uh, quite happy to embrace that. Um, she does a lot. Uh, she and Gavin, her husband, have done a lot of good work in, in terms of the press and in terms of the writers that they've printed and they've reprinted. Um, she reprinted um, a couple of, uh, of collections of Joan Aiken's work. And, oh, wow. um, oh, and there's there's uh, oh, what was one of them was was Joan Aiken's children's stories. Um, and I, I have a very fond memory of going through those with my younger son, just reading a story, uh, a story a night. So. Nice. Uh, so yeah, they're they're doing good work, and um, they live in uh, they live in Northampton, uh, Massachusetts. They also have uh, have opened their own independent bookstore over the last I, I don't know I guess, but I think it was just before COVID that they yeah. they opened uh, uh, called Book Moon, and um, it's absolutely oh, worth supporting. Oh, she's got Book Moon. I did not realize yeah, that was yeah. her and her husband. Yeah. And okay. uh, yeah, so so they, um, you know, I mean, I mean, and they've kind of managed to to keep it going, you know. Yeah. But but as you can imagine, it it has not been easy in the in the midst yes. of the yes. of the pandemic. So uh, so yeah, I. Um, why why I, did you choose? Why did you choose Kelly? Yeah, well, you know, when I when I first came back to writing horror fiction um, in the late the late nineties, um, I was like, oh, I should try to educate myself a little bit see who's who's who and what's what and and kelly was one of the names i i ran across right at sort of the turn of the millennium um and, and she was part of this this group of writers um that, that seemed to me sort of loosely associated with one another um, jeffrey ford was part of it mm-hmm. um i think uh andy duncan seemed to be to be part of it um i think neil gaiman was sort of part of it as an outlier in in the same way that that um, somewhat older writers like John Crowley and M. John Harrison also seem to, to sort of, and Gene Wolfe, seem to fit in around the, the margins as, as maybe predecessors or, or, you know, one of the, it's like Borges says, every writer creates her or his own predecessors. Mm, and so, mm. you know, you would look at these guys and you would think, oh man, that feels kind of, you know, that there's something like Robert Aikman going on in, in there. So there was a certain kind of, there's a way in which Kelly's stories were, were very funny, um, very moving, very mysterious, 
And uh, the comparison that, that I make is to Peter Straub's novels, uh, and to my, I guess what I should say is to my discovery of Peter Straub's novels. When I was a kid and I first read Ghost Story and Shadowland, I can remember being both intensely delighted by them and, and sort of mystified by, by elements of them. Yes. But this didn't make me angry. It just made me, it almost made me excited because I thought, oh, great, I can read this again. You know, I'm, I'm not yes, going to yes. have come to the, to the end of this. It was the, the, the texts were, they kept giving. And, um, and that's how I feel with, with Kelly's work. Um, there are stories of hers that I have read and reread and reread and I have taught to my classes because I'm still trying to understand them and I'm still yes, trying to yes. figure out how they, how they do, how they do what they do and whatever it is that they're, they're doing. And um, there's a part of me that thinks that, that more so than, than many other writers, she is just way out ahead of the pack she, she's way out in in front of us and and we're all trying or at least i'm trying to catch up to her i'm trying yes. to i'm trying to learn from her and and see what uh um how she does what what she does and and i can remember first or right around the time that stranger things happened came out i can remember reading an interview with gene wolf the late gene wolf and uh, Wolf talked about, uh, you know, I need to read her more because I'm trying to figure out how she does what she does. And I thought, yes. holy cow, if Gene Wolf yes. saying that yes. about your work, that's a, that's a pretty good compliment. And, and you know, it's, it's been interesting to kind of do a little bit of research on Kelly Link in the last uh, few days and, and seeing how people are categorizing her. You know, is she genre? Is she horror? Is she whatever? Not, uh, is she, I guess there's, there's genre writers and then there's, you know, literary writers. I don't right. even know. I don't, I don't really believe in that distinction, but I kind of, I get what they're going for. I guess maybe yeah. literary means it's just like achieve something that's so um, high in quality or that's just so resonant, or it doesn't just lend itself to, it's not just a plot that has a twist at the end. And that makes it a mystery. No, there's something really going on that, that resonates with the human experience. And so uh, it's, it's then it's literary, but I have seen the label light horror associated <laughs> or applied to her. Light yeah. horror. That's awesome. I mean, it's I like mean, it's, Diet it's like, Coke, yeah. Her, yeah, exactly. Her stuff's not like grisly, but there's definitely, there are haunting and frightening elements in it. Um, but there is a, yeah, it's just not, it's not very simple to put down. And, and certainly, uh, yeah, Neil Gaiman, I did um, in reading through um, uh, the, the, these two stories we're going to talk about and several of her others, it, it did uh, remind me of my first experience reading Neil Gaiman when I kind of uh, caught up with Sandman back in my college days, came home to, uh, uh, to Florida, to, uh, uh, came back home and went to the local comic shop. I'd heard of this guy, Neil Gaiman. I hadn't read anything. Well, the, my first, first uh, issues I found that had just come out were a season of mists where you've got Lucifer deciding he's had it with running hell. He's going to get the key to Morpheus and go off and go on vacation. And just the, the bizarre nature of all of these uh, deities having their squabbles um, it was uh, just something I'd never really seen before. Uh, didn't really know that those kind of stories existed within the realm of comic books uh, because they just, they were not action oriented. They were, you know, focused on these mythical echoes you had with all of these uh, deities and divinities and, and strange characters with their, um, you know, and, and their psyches. So it, yeah, it really kind of reading Link took me back to that. It made me think of a, I don't know, like a Percy Bysshe Shelley to John Keats. You know, you've got, you've got Lord Byron and, and, and Shelley 
doing some amazing things, building out the work of that, that kind of romantic era literature. And then John Keats comes in and does something that where you have some of the finest examples working in spaces that his predecessors had already developed. But, but, but he ended up coming up with some of the, 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 the great poems from the romantic era. And I kind of felt a little bit like that with, with Kelly. Well, you had, um, you had mentioned um, you know, two specific stories. The first one is Stone Animals. Uh, I'm going to give a little recap of that. And Oh, yeah. Uh, spoilers, ahoy. Uh, lots of spoilers here. We're going to go. We're not we're going to touch every part of the story and everything is is open to discuss. So if you have not, dear listener, dear viewer, read uh, Stone Animals and the second story is going to be Magic for Beginners. If you haven't read those, you might want to pause now. Go and read them. You can get them on Kindle right now. Go read them and then come back to the video. Uh, but here we go. Spoilers ahead. Um, so first, stone animals. Um, Henry and Catherine, with their children Tilly and Carlton, make the move from New York City to the suburbs, building or buying a house which is rumored to be haunted, though no one takes the rumor seriously. They made the move to counter Henry's demanding job and workaholic tendencies. He plans to work from home in the only occasion with uh, only the occasional commute, but his boss, a manipulative woman, call, he calls the alligator, cajoles him daily to keep working on site, getting him home to his family late or for days at a stretch, not at all. Uh, the cracks in their marriage quickly begin to show. Catherine, his wife, well along in her third pregnancy, makes friends with couples in the neighborhood, but is frustrated by Henry's never being home to meet them. She grows obsessed with painting her house to the point where she paints over undried paint and salivates over paint chips, she wishes she could eat paint. She gives names to her color mixes that reflect, for example, the state of her marriage and naming one of them Velveteen Fade. Objects in their house come to feel wrong. The family calls them haunted. The alarm clock, the television, their clothes, the tap water, eventually their cat, even the train on Henry's commute from the city. They are surrounded by a malaise of low-grade paranoia. Tilly, the daughter, is a sleepwalker, a tourist som somnambulist, and Henry's and Catherine's dreams are growing invasive like the rabbits in their front yard. Oh, the rabbits, the ubiquitous furry fauna isn't so adorable when you see them close up or when they appear en masse on your lawn or when their daughter, Tilly, starts sleep talking on the phone to them, chatting with them in the yard, lying stretched out in the green grass, eating the green grass. Um, the longer they remain in the house, the more isolated the family members become from each other. With stone animals, Kelly Link takes us down the rabbit hole of a sick family that refuses to heal and refuses to die. John, why did you choose the story Stone Animals? So this is one of those stories. That's a great summary, by the way. Thank you. Um, if, if that doesn't make people want to read the story, I don't know. I don't know what will. That was. Um, th these are really difficult stories to summarize because I just told you the plot, but it doesn't. It doesn't convey the story. No, There's like it doesn't get so the feel of the story. On. Yeah, yeah. No, it doesn't you, get the way the story feels. You can't or, do that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I first read this. I want to say I ran across it in. Um, it was reprinted in the Best American uh, or Best Short Stories, whatever it was, around two thousand six maybe um maybe a little earlier than that but anyway i i read it and i was just like what is this yeah and um and then i reread it and um and as i said you know i i taught it because i was like well 
um, if I don't understand it, maybe my students will, you know, and, and, um, and it gave me an excuse to read it again, but, yes. but, you know, also to sort of talk it through and, and, um, they were just like, Whoa, it's really cool, but we don't really, we don't understand it either. So, yes. um, so yeah, it was something that I, I wanted, um, I wanted to come back to it. I really wanted the excuse to come back to it. You know, there's always new stuff to read. Right. And, yes. and um, I, um, I'm a great, as I've gotten older, I've become a real believer in, in rereading things. You know, I have friends, many of them younger, who were like, I don't have time. <laughs> I've got yes, yes. to keep going, which in a lot of ways, it's funny. That's how I feel about movies. I, I yeah. feel like I don't, there aren't a lot of movies I, I rewatch. But in terms of things I read, I, I really feel the, the, for me, there's a benefit in going back to them. So I was like, great, this will be a chance to go back to Kelly's work. Um, and so, yes, yeah, Stone Animals was was one of the first ones I thought of because I thought, man, that thing is just so elliptical. And I, I really want to because it feels right uh, to, to, to cut to the chase a little bit. It feels as if there is so much significance here. Yes. You know, it, it feels as if the, these characters are doing all these kinds of repetitive things yes. and, and you feel and, and things are that there's there's both repetition and there's also a kind of escalation. Um, an intensification to what's going on. And so you think to yourself, this, this is leading somewhere. This mean, you know, this means in some way. Yes. Um, and then it has this remarkable ending and you just think to yourself, Oh my goodness, what, what is this all about? You know? Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, so yeah, I just, I, I really wanted to, I really wanted a chance to, to take another look at, at that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, for me, it's a lot like James Joyce's Dubliners. Like every one of these short stories, I'm like tracking, tracking, tracking last paragraph or last sentence. Well, what, what, where did that come yeah, yeah. from? How was yeah, that yeah. connected? And you got to go back and try to understand what is this great gene, you know, I, I assume he's, he's going some ways, he's doing something special here because he's James Joyce. Um, uh, but yeah, like by, especially by the end of the story, we'll talk about that in just a, in just a moment. Um, you, you know, something's going on here, but, but the way she, you know, the story has a beginning and it has an end. It, it is generally following a chronology, but you keep getting pieces of, especially the, the, the dynamic in, within yeah. the family, yeah, yeah. um, and, uh, magic, uh, magic for beginners does this quite a lot as well, but like how on earth did Kelly Link come up with that sort of structure is it just very organic is it extremely mapped out and planned you're really getting the right piece or well pieces i don't know if it's there is any such thing as the right piece of the right place but you're getting a look at their relationships and the dynamic within the family at various places along the way that keeps building your understanding even as you're seeing these people go going crazy losing their minds yeah. and yeah. everything is starting to collapse internally inside their family um and it's it's completely brilliant i yeah i don't know how she decides how she does it how she decides to put you know it's it's interesting here. the first time i met her we were we were talking and and um i was at that point not like like i i could sort of write a story a year to to cut to yeah. the chase yeah and i did i was sort of feeling anxious about not being productive enough and and i remember very vividly her saying to me you know i think we should all try to write less um wow. and oh my goodness. um and i i take wow. that to a certain extent maybe to mean spend more time with what we are writing you know yeah. and and i i think that her stories really give evidence of that. They, they, mm -hmm. they really, and who knows, you know, I've actually never asked her that. Like for all I know, she sits down in 48 hours, writes it and she's like, <laughs> I'm done. But I, I, um, 
I, I imagine though that that it's a longer process than than that, or at least it used to be. I mean, I'm, I'm sure she's it's become easier. She's gotten older. Uh, making a lot of suppositions there. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I've never actually asked her that much uh, or really anything about about her process. Um, it um, you know it's it's fascinating to me. Um, the, the, you know, the story begins. See if I bookmarked. Um, you know the the very first line of the story. Mm-hmm. Yep. Here, I bookmarked the other story. Oh, here we go. Henry asked the question. He was joking. As a matter of fact, the real estate agent snapped. It is. It was not a question she had expected to be asked. She gave Henry a goofy, appeasing smile and yanked at the hem of the skirt of her pink linen suit, which seemed as if it might at any moment go rolling up her knees like a window shade. She was younger than Henry and sold houses that she couldn't afford to buy. It's reflected in the asking price, of course, she said. Like you said. Henry stared at her. She blushed. I've never seen anything, she said, but there are stories. Not stories that I know. I just know there are stories, if you believe that sort of thing. I don't, Henry said. Um, you know, it's, it's, so of course we're immediately like, what is he asking? What, yes, you know, yes. like, like, um, and, um, and we'll, we'll come to learn later on if we, if we couldn't figure it out ourselves that he's asking, you know, is the house haunted? Is that why it's yeah. so cheap? Um, and apparently at least in, in New York state, and I think, I don't know if it's across the nation, um, real estate agents at least have to disclose to you if you ask if there are any reports of the house being haunted that they're aware of they have to they're oh like legally goodness. obligated to um, I, I i could see like if, if someone had died like been murdered in the house but actually yeah. if there were reports of it being haunted i had no idea yeah there's there's a wonderful novel by uh, sean stewart which was, interestingly was actually published by small beer press i would have to huh. check the dates but it, it's called uh, perfect circle and and huh. it is one of the great horror novels I, wow, I think one of the wow. great and and it's very short a couple hundred pages and it's about a guy who can see dead people wow. and that's one of the things that he does as he goes to houses and and because there I can't remember there are people who like to buy haunted houses and so he's like yeah I'll certify that I saw a ghost in, in here nice, but nice. Anyway, very very worth reading but but so just to come back to, to Kelly, mar- though, so- marketable skill there yeah, yeah. So, so if anybody, if you can see ghosts, make it work for you. Yes. Um, but um, I see dead people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I see dead people realty or something like that. But yes. Yes. So, so what's interesting to me, in, in part, is is that the 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 story is almost, if you will, haunted by that question that that we don't hear asked. We yeah. have to in, we have to intuit that, mm-hmm. and and so there is, you know, right from the get go. Um, we're, we're a little bit wrong footed, you know, because she just takes us through it. She plunges us right into the head of the real estate agent with that dress that she's tugging down that who's selling yeah. houses she can't afford. Yeah. Um, you know, she just kind of nails certain, certain things. People um, can't remember her name, which is why she yes. has to wear these two tight skirts. She's having to show herself off to get attention. Yeah. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Man, the, the detail there is, I mean, you say so much about somebody with that, with that little just odd detail. I've never read that before. I've never heard that before. And it's, she totally nails it. Yeah. And, and what's fascinating, um, you know, the, the, the details. Um, and like I said, this is like this time through, I was, I just finally was like, wait a minute. I think I'm starting to see how some of these details might connect with, with one another because yeah. um, the, there is that technique of leaving, you know, of omission. Um, it, it, it's much later in the story that we find out um, 
that, that Catherine has had an affair, or at least that she told Henry that she had an affair. Yes. And then we find out later on that she didn't have the affair, yes. that she lied about the affair because she wanted attention from him because he was, he was a, a workaholic. Because he's a workaholic. And, and so she almost wishes she did have the affair because, yeah. because they spent all this time in therapy, but, but it was really good because it got them back together again. And now, yeah, they're going to have a third baby, but the baby that, that she, I mean, I hate to call it the makeup baby. That sounds like so crass, but it kind of feels like but, that. But that's what she seems to be indicating. Yeah, and and that, she's that, not, she's still not going to tell Henry that she didn't actually have the affair. Which right, I'm like, that would well, be, that would be such a, and uh, that's the honest thing to do. But of course she's yeah. not going to do that because um, she, uh, yeah, she, she can't be honest with him. She needs to continue to kind of play him and yeah. work on him. And, and, but she does admit, I think that uh, finally that this is, um, you know, she saved the marriage the first time through by lying about right, having an right. affair. He's going to have to do it this time. I mean, tell, right. tell, yeah, tell, tell me a little more about this, like the family's interpersonal dynamic, because this is this is not a healthy family here. No, I don't think so. I mean, and, and the thing with Henry is that, that Henry, he does love his job. You know, that this is like, like, like one of the things she said, like they talk about, you know, which kid do we love best, you know? Yes. And, and, and he says, you know, at, at one point she says, of course, I love the kids more than I love you. That's my job. I'm yes. the, like, I'm their yes. mom, you know? Yes. So, so on the one hand, like it's, it's, it's funny, right. That, that she is sort of saying to, to Henry, I, you know, I need you home and completely, you know, I, I completely understandable at the same time. She's like, but I don't really love you as much as the kids. And, and that's yes. a weird thing. Like, like, um, to, to quantify in, in some way, you know, she doesn't say, I love you differently. You're my husband. I don't love you in the same way. I love the kids. She's just like, Nope, they went out. Um, yes. but then although they went out, as the, no, as, as, the, as the novel, it feels like a novel, as the story goes on, she doesn't really spend a huge amount of time with them. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say that. She does spend a huge amount of time with them. She doesn't spend a huge amount of time parenting them. Uh, she spends she her time instead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and part of it, and some of that nervousness um, is completely understandable. She, you know, she says to him, do you remember how much work it was when we had Carlton, the, the second boy, the yeah. second child, excuse me, yeah. their son. And so she's thinking, you know, he's six, I think, until he's nine. So, so she's thinking, here we are going to have child number three yeah. and, and you're not going to be home. This isn't going to work. This yeah. isn't. Um, and yet he, um, you know, his, his boss, his boss is kind of fascinating to me, you know, um, the, uh, the we never learn her name. I think he calls her the crocodile, the alligator. Right? Because yes, he like, calls her sure the alligator. Are you sure it's not the crocodile? No, it's the alligator. The alligator tears. Oh no, wait, he does call her the crocodile, right? Because crocodile first... tears. Yeah, yeah, that's what I oh, was it thinking is crocodile about. Tears. That, that, that's that right. she, yeah, that, that she's always because she's never had this duck surgery done on her eyes. She's always on the verge of these tears, but she has no sympathy for him whatsoever, right? Yes, yes. And she's, you know, I was thinking that like, crocodiles are ambush predators, right? And she keeps ambushing him. She keeps yes, saying, she does. "I really need you to stay. I really need you to come in." And he always falls for it, right? He never, yep. he never says, "I'm sorry." we're done. This is, this is my new life. Um, and, and in the same way, she's also building this gigantic rubber band ball, which is kind of funny, yes. but there's a, there's also a weird correlation that I can't quite work out between that and, and, uh, and Caroline's pregnancy, this, this, this big yes. round pregnancy that she has. And That's so the, right. 
the crocodile is, as it were, making her own egg, except it's it's just it's it's um, it's a sterile uh, egg. There, there's nothing there's nothing to it. But but she there definitely seems to be a kind of doubling that, that's going on between the the life of the house and the life of the office. And, and, and he does and, he seems to be you know the, this woman the the crocodile his boss. The way she talks to him, it's almost like she's uh, trying to, you know, seduce him or get him to have this yeah, affair. Yeah, it, and it he feels is having an affair. It's just with his job, yeah, uh, rather than with her. But yeah, she's yeah, very manipulative because his wife says, "Oh, I wish you were having an affair with her, and then I could just like that would simplify things." Yeah, you know? at, at least then you'd come home on time. Right, you'd be because yeah. you'd be trying to pretend you weren't having an affair, and he's yes. like, ah, "I'm too busy to have an affair. I don't, you know." But of course, yes. considering that there's there's something really um, like an off note, you know, about about like as far as he knows, his wife has had an affair, and yeah. um, and they've they've gotten past that, and he has said to her, interestingly, "I do not want to talk about. It. I never want to. Once they get yeah. through therapy, I never want to talk about this again." Yes, um, and uh, of course, that's not going to work. Uh, yeah. Of course, the the marriage is haunted. I, I think in very yes. real ways by that by that deception. It's interesting that the house that they move into they 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 say has no basement, yeah. which is really weird for a for a house. They're, they're somewhere in upstate um, the Mid Hudson Valley, I think, because the they talk about one of uh, the neighbors going or one a friend going to see someone in Tarrytown. Mm -hmm. um, so my guess is that they're they're north or or around Tarrytown. Um, or Ossining, that, that sort of neck of the woods. Um, so it's very unusual. It would be very unusual for a house of what appears to be the size of this house mm -hmm. um, not to have a basement. Yeah. But so here you have something that, what are its foundations like? You know, like, yes. like um, yes. so, yes. so yes. there's no, what there is, um, um, is our, our rabbits. Right. And, and so these rabbits have these, you know, they, they have these extensive tunnels underneath, obviously underneath the ground, possibly underneath the house. Mm -hmm. um, at one point, Tilly opens up this little door in the wall and looks and, and there are these little steps, dirt steps going down into the into the ground. And there's a rabbit there. Yes. Um, and, and there's so the rabbits seem to be and there, there are two stone rabbits, of course, at, at first um, that they see initially on the front step and they don't know what they are. Are they animals? They're, they're kind of are they, shapeless. Are they, yeah, Maybe they just lions. have big ears. Yeah, the boy lions. Carlton thinks it's their dogs. Um, I, I think uh, uh, Henry comes home late one night. It's nighttime. And he sees two short, fat men, short men yeah, standing yeah, yeah. on either side of the door. And he no, it's the statues that he thinks yeah. are rabbits, but no one's quite sure. Yeah, they're not a hundred percent sure, you know. And 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 yet Henry keeps having these dreams where he's talking to men who are clearly rabbits, you know, who yes. have these long ears and that sort of stuff. And 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 so the the um, you know, the the rabbits, they they they're sort of I don't know what you'd call it. The, the sort of symbolic dimension keeps shifting. You know, yeah. they, they, they're they there beside the front door. Well, maybe they're supposed to be like like guardian spirits or something mm -hmm. like that, or, or, or totemic or, or in, in some way. And yet, and then you think, well, maybe they're images of fertility because mm -hmm. of, of course, Catherine is so hugely pregnant yes. uh, with, with child number three. Um, they have the association with Easter, with rebirth, with spring. Mm -hmm. 
um, oh, okay, we're starting our life, our life over again here. That's great. But then, of course, Tilly has an encounter with one of them where there's a little guy on her back who, who throws a little spear into her hand when, when yes. she reaches towards uh, towards the rabbit. And and so suddenly the rabbits morph, if you will, <laughs> symbolically morph from from being these symbols of fertility to symbols of something much more troubling. Yes. Um, and there's this multiplication of the of the rabbits um, in the same way that there's the the repetition, what will we say? The repetition, I guess, of, of Caroline painting the walls of the of the house, right? Yes, and yes. and so so things and, and Tilly sleepwalking, and mm -hmm. Henry staying at work, staying at you know staying down in the in the city, so that things um, things just they they keep escalating, right? And and we we can see her, you know, the the talk about. Um, you know, a few, however many, what a month or two before before birth, um, women will, will you know experience a sort of nesting instinct, mm -hmm. the the instinct to sort of make the house ready for the arrival of the baby, and so you could certainly see her painting the house at first as some sort of version of that, but yeah. it goes way way beyond. Yeah, that. that would be good and constructive, except for she's like really like looks at paint chips and starts salivating. She... Yeah, and she does, but she talks about having had, I mean, they, they don't call it, Kelly doesn't call it pica, but, you know, uh, like she ate dirt when she was pregnant yes, with Tilly. Yes. And I can't remember what she ate with, uh, with, uh, um, Carlton, Carlton, but, um, but it was something, it was sort of similar. That, so, so yeah. part of it is just, it's something that, that some pregnant women do go through, mm -hmm. but it also seems, no, there's, there's yeah. that attempt to find the right color. I mean, she has a lot of fun, um, Kelly Link does naming the different colors, right? Yes, I yes. do think that that one velveteen fade, man, I thought about the velveteen rabbit, you know, yeah. and, and yeah. Um, the, the, the classic children's story, right? About a, a rabbit who just wants to come to life, wants to be a real boy and wants to yes. be a real rabbit, a rabbit who comes to life and, um, uh, and, and runs away at the end, you know, runs away from the, uh, from the family at the, uh, at the end, because he's, he's been such a good rabbit, I, I guess, yes, you know, yes. I can't remember if there's an angel that appears and gives the, uh, gives the angel, gives the, the, the rabbit life or not, or if it's a fairy or I can't remember yeah, how that's yeah. played exactly. But so, yeah, so there's a little, um, there, there's a little, even it seems to be not a little, little allusion to the, to the, but velveteen fade, right? Like it's yes. not going to work out the, the oh, it, it in started the same off way. soft and silky and nice and things have just drawn out. And yeah. It's not, gotten coarse, their, right? Yeah, their actions of the of the family, especially Henry and Catherine, are like normal actions, right? He's going to work. She's getting the house ready for the baby and fit, you know, painting and. But they just, yeah, there's the repetitiveness of it. The further, the the more, you know, the the longer they go, the more obsessed they are with these actions, and you just get the sense that they're just like there's something really disconnected between them. They're growing, the, the more time they spend together inside, especially the, mo the mom and the children, the more isolated they are. It's, it's just getting sicker and sicker. And the, yeah, the, the pictures of a family and, well, I'll just say like the pictures of family and uh, domesticity are just so wonderfully drawn by Kelly. I love the, like the, the, the you get this pattern of um, kind of smells that you would have. And you know what, as a as a parent with, especially with younger children, yeah, you, and, and in a new house, you know, you're going to get hit with a bunch of different smells, whether it's the kind of the, there's sort of a urine smell in the house. Uh, there's the scent of grass that the children are tracking inside. Right, there's the, right. the vinegar smell of Tilly's little stuffed armadillo purse. Um, right. the, the wall that smells of Fruit Loops, just all of these pictures of, yeah, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of like when you're stuck in the house with kids. 
these sticky kids. That's sort of what the world is like. It's, there's a lot of smells there. Um, and yeah, the, the kind of interpersonal dynamic and the, the sort of low grade betrayal that's constantly kind of going on or the vying for, uh, you know, getting each other, you know, each, each one wanting to get their ways going back and forth. Um, what, what do you make of the ending there? Because at, at the end, so we have, we do have this moment with Tilly where she sees a rabbit, she's getting close to it. She's kind of starting to become a rabbit herself in a weird way. And then she looks at it and this little rabbit has a small person riding on her on its back with a string around its neck, holding on a string and a spear in one hand, a string in the other holding onto it. It's like, that's weird. Well, you know, Tilly's a little kid and she's imaginative and she's going right. through these trying times. She's probably just imagining it. But at the end, we have Henry coming home from his another late commute and the rabbits have, they, they really start off mostly in his dreams as he's talking to a guy coming to fix up the house, but the guy, yeah, has long, the long ears, the big eyes, twitching nose right, or whatever. Right. And you're starting to see they're like, like, his dreams are populated with rabbits. And then by the end of the story, like the neighbors are coming over to visit with Catherine and the neighbors are like, Catherine, you've got a thousand rabbits out on the yard. And that may not, may, that's maybe an exaggeration, but maybe not. The rabbits are proliferating. And there's like, I, I love rabbits. I think they're adorable. But if my yard was full of them, I'd be scared. And, and yeah, by the end here, here comes Henry coming home from his, this commute. And he sees these rabbits. And there's this strange transmogrification moment here where he He's described as kind of striding one of the rabbits like he's somehow shrunk down or the rabbit yeah, yeah. has increased in size and he's shrunk down or whatever he's strid straddling this the back of a rabbit gets that little string around its neck in his hand and he's got a spear in the other and it says he's he and all the other people on the backs of these rabbits are essentially mount about to mount an attack on that on his own house like what yeah, do you make of this? It's yeah. Please, you want to read? No, that just, what's, what's interesting um, um, is that uh, you know his his wife has said to him, "I'm having this dinner party. Yes. We're going to get to you're going to get to meet the neighbors. Do not miss this. Yes. Do not be. Do not. You need to be there for this." And he said, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it." Um, and he he then we get a scene where of course he's late and the crocodile is laughing at him. Um, and uh, he says, you know, uh, uh, I'm late. I'll, uh, I'll be late. She's going to kill me. Um, and um, uh, tell her it's my fault. The crocodile said. So they started dinner without you. Big deal. And, and Henry says, I tried calling. Nobody answered. I'm, I'm talking about the haunting stuff in a minute. But anyway, yeah. he goes home. Um, and uh, you know, this is this is how it, it concludes. Here's the yard, and here's his house. He loves his house. How it's all lit up. You can see right through the windows. You can see the living room, which Catherine has painted ghost crab. The trim is rat fink. Catherine has worked so hard. The driveway is full of cars and inside people are eating dinner. They're admiring Catherine's trees. This is what she's painted on the walls. They haven't waited for him and that's fine. His neighbors, he loves his neighbors. He's going to love them as soon as he meets them. His wife is going to have a baby any day now. His daughter will stop walking in her sleep. His son isn't haunted. The moon shines down and paints the world a color he's never seen before. Oh, Catherine, wait till you see this. Shining lawn, shining rabbits, shining world. The rabbits are out on the lawn. They've been waiting for him all this time. They've been waiting. Here's his rabbit, his very own rabbit. Who needs a bike? He sits on his rabbit, legs pressed against the warm, silky, shining flanks, one hand holding onto the rabbit's fur, the knotted string around its neck. 
he has something in his other hand. And when he looks, he sees it's a spear. All around him, the others are sitting on their rabbits, waiting patiently, quietly. They've been waiting for a long time, but the waiting is almost over. In a little while, the dinner party will be over and the war will begin. So, you know, I mean, it, that is nuts. I love it. Just, I love right. it. It's completely crazy. Well, because it, it moves, right? You know, uh, like like he feels it's almost like a weird sort of funny. I never thought about it this way. I know that Kelly is a fan of John Cheever's stuff. And it's almost like a John Cheever story, but like 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 filtered through. I don't know what, you know, yeah. like, like because here he is coming back and he's late, but there's the house and it's so lovely. And he's he's filled with this feeling of love for everybody. Right. Yes. Which is a little bit disingenuous, maybe. But but because his love is really fueled, I think, by his fear of what's mm. going to happen. And and there's everybody. Presumably, they are actually inside. Now, the interest, and, and but but that final image is this image of war. Yeah. That the, what he's coming back to is this battle, um, and and you know, in wars, there are casualties. There 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 tend to be uh, winners and losers and such. So so it's as if you know he's coming back to this thing that at the very least it's good the struggle is going to continue it's not as if he's reached the end and and he's like oh i've realized the error of my ways i'm just going to be with my family now no i don't think so i think yeah. instead he's just um he, he's going to continue doing this until they split up maybe mm-hmm. um that that seems and yet what's interesting is is his reference to the all the others are there too yeah. Um, and are the others just the rabbits? Are there people on the rabbits? It if sounds so, like there are other people on the rabbits. Yeah. Like, if so, who are those? Who are those yes. people? Right. Um, I've been I've been thinking a lot because one of the jokes, in a way, it seems like a joke, right? Is is things start to become haunted in the house, yes. right? It's it's almost as if in, in some ways the real estate agent has planted the seed in everybody's head by saying, yes. "Well, yes. there are reports of it being haunted. I've I've never seen anything, right? But things become haunted, and and um, at first, the things that become haunted are new things, like the TV that's that's in the, that yes. comes with the house, this big blocky a, a TV. toothbrush or something, yeah, yeah. But but then. What starts to happen, I think, is is their own stuff starts to become haunted, and yes. then uh, Carlton himself, they they think he's haunted, and I think you know it's one way of reading that. I think is that they're 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 past. They they've come to this house, I, I think, to make a new start. Yes, very much. And so. yet their past is with them. Yes. Um. And and unfortunately, um. You know, it's it's the whole it's it's repression, right? It's it's Henry saying, "I don't ever want to talk about this affair you had again," and let, we're just going to push all that away, and we're going to push our life in the city away. We're just going we're going to start new. But of course, when you try to repress, very Freudian, right? You try to repress yeah. things, and they they pop up again. They they haunt you in in these these strange ways. Um, so in, in a in a very bizarre. In a very bizarre way, the the story reminds me of the haunting of Hill House. Yeah, um, yeah. Because in the in the haunting of Hill House, there's a suggestion, right, that the house might be as much a mirror as it is anything. That, that, that what you yes. what you bring to the house is what's reflected back at you. Yes. And and so I, I I wonder if the the haunting, as it were, aspect of it, you know, has to has to do with that on some level. That that it's you know all the baggage, all the stuff you bring with you. That it, you, you tell yourself, "I'm not bringing this with me," but of course you are. You're bringing all your stuff that that was was with you in the old life, and now you're bringing it to the new life. Of of course, your past travels along along with you, and um, 
And so, yeah, the, the geographical cure, if you will, has, has not been successful. And the, the war is coming. And the war is not, um, the, the, the war is not going to be pretty. Wars, wars never are. Yes, yes. And there's, I, I was looking for it. I can't quite uh, put my finger on it, but there's a, a quote in here somewhere where I think it's Catherine saying or, or admitting to herself that basically, yeah, it's, it's, it's what we're bringing with us that is, uh, that is the problem or that is haunted. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's definitely in here. Um, yeah, yeah, here it is. Um, uh, you know, this is so stupid, Henry said. This house isn't haunted. There isn't any such thing as a haunted house. It isn't the house, Catherine said. It's the stuff we brought with us. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. What do you think the stone animals are referencing? What, what's the title referencing the stone? Well, animals? I think you know. It, it, on on the one hand, right, it's the um, it's the rabbits, right? It's these weird things that are that are sitting beside the door. That the sort of the weird, almost sort of off note to the house, right? Like yeah. like the rest of the house seems to be reasonably normal you know it seems mm -hmm. like a nice enough house okay no no basement uh, yeah you know, a little weird, odd there but, yeah um but um but but a big field surrounding it you know room for the kids to play all this kind of stuff for the cat to go out and uh and uh and hunt um and um and yet the 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 I think the indeterminate, the slightly indeterminate quality of the of the rabbits. I think that tells us something to that you know to be a little bit careful that meanings and definitions are going to shift as the as the story goes on. Um, Catherine compares them to the the when she's trying to uh, reassure Carlton about them. She compares them to the lions at the New York Public Library. So you yeah. love those lions. They're you know they're okay, but these are not. These are these are almost more primitive looking. You know, they, they, there's a suggestion I think that they are. Um, a little bit cruder and, and the way they keep changing you know lion dog short man you know that that uh, I think probably indicates um, or, or, or reflects I think a kind of instability mm. um, to, to what's going on I think ultimately those those rabbits come to seem as as much this um, this this symbol for the 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 collapse that's happening underneath everything, all the tunnels, all the holes, all the gaps and spaces that are opening underneath everything. Yes. Um, yes. Is the house going to fall into a, a rabbit created sinkhole? No, I don't, I don't think yeah. so. But, um, but it's, it's, and here's the other thing, right? That getting rid of the rabbits is really gruesome. You know, you have to stop up all the holes and oh, then yeah. gas them. And, yeah, and, you and gas who them. wants to, who yeah. wants to do something it's like that? water shipped down all over again. That traumatic yeah, yeah. cartoon that we saw when we were kids. Uh, I do. I do wonder if Kelly had that in mind at all. If, if she's like, oh, it's a you think horrifying nice. moment uh, in that cartoon. You, yeah. Yeah. Did you see water shipped down? Yeah. So, yes, so yeah, yes. I think that they, um, I think the um, stone animals is also, it, it seems like a, almost a sort of, um, an oxymoronic kind of way to refer to um, to refer to a statue. Yeah, you know, it's 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 an animal, so it's alive, right? It's living, but stone, obviously, yes. it's it's not. It's something that's that's frozen. I wonder. Um, I wonder if it's a, a reflection on the family that you know they are animals, but they're so rigid, they're so set in their ways. If they if they would just do something different, if they would stop, right. if he would stop being a workaholic, if he would if he would make himself go home at the right time, if he would just do something different. Right. You know, draw a line on the sand with the crocodile and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to keep yeah. coming back here, working over the weekends. I mean, he's there for days at a stretch at times. If she, if Catherine would stop, you know, 
kind of frittering her days away with trying to perfect these rooms with paint that's just not working. Uh, maybe, maybe they could, if they would be willing to change, maybe they'd heal, but they just seem so set in their ways that, yeah, they're, they're yeah. made of stone and they're, and they're going, and it's going to kill them. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, and I think that's way. a good, I think that's a good way to, to put it, that they are, they are petrified in their own, yes. in their yes. own ways and, and that they're not able they're not able to break out of that. They're, they're yeah. not able to to um, to become less rigid, and and it's going to have a a, um, a a tragic a tragic end because they may get divorced, or even worse, they may not get divorced, and yeah. things may just stay the stay exactly or or you know the same. Because yeah. the thing is that Henry doesn't you know even if he needs to be in the office uh, some days like like late hours or or whatever. Um, he also goes down there on the weekends to entertain clients, which he doesn't yes. really need to do, yes. you know, like, like the, 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 the crocodile pushes him as his boss sort of pushes him into, into doing that. So it's, it's not only, you know, his, the, the, the job is his life in, yeah. in a way that his family doesn't seem to be, and it, and, doesn't and it seem... needs to be, and they're, and yeah. they're dying the family is dying because of, yeah, the, in yeah. part because of his lack of willingness to commit. Um, there's one passage I want to read just because I think it's it shows what Kelly is so good at doing, um, which is kind of create summarizing a, an aspect of this family life. It's where they're, they're thinking about um, Catherine and Henry are kind of arguing over um, his, his lack of availability to help her with the baby. She reminds them how hard it was to, to raise Carlton, to bring Carlton in the world. And I, I think there's some, some reference to him having been very sick as a child. Um, he, was, he was one cranky baby, Henry said. When Carlton was three months old, Henry had realized that they'd misunderstood something. Babies weren't babies. They were landmines, bear traps, wasp nests. They were a noise, which was sometimes even not a noise, but merely a listening for a noise. They were a damp, chalky smell. They were the heaving, jerky, sticky manifestation of not sleep. Once Henry had stood and watched Carlton in his crib sleeping peacefully, he had not done what he wanted to do. He had not bent over and yelled in Carlton's ear. Henry still hadn't forgotten Carl, hadn't, hadn't forgiven Carlton, not yet, not entirely from making him feel that way. Man, that's just like, I get, I've got children. I, I get the frustration that you can feel in just because of your inadequacy of being a parent and you can't yeah. give them everything that, that they seem to want or need. Um, and that's just, uh, just such a hard hit. I mean, you get an, you get an in, uh, internal picture of these people's psyches and they're, you know, it, it is, it's pretty unflinching. Um, those are the yeah, kinds it, of thoughts you don't want to you don't even want to admit to as a parent. Yeah, yeah, and and I think it, it it helps us to understand psychologically why does Henry want to be at work because at work he yeah. fixes things at, at yes. work he's you know um, doing your job if if you're good at doing your job um, is uh, I don't know it's it's a lot simpler ultimately it, it, than, it is. than parenting a, a, um, especially a small child if a if the child is colicky or has colicky any kind of difficulties yeah yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, let's let's move on to the next story, Magic for Beginners. You want to give us a little recap of that? Sure. Let's uh, see. What we're, uh, here we go. Um, so Magic for Beginners follows 15-year-old Jeremy Mars and his close friends, 
the lovely Elizabeth, goth girl Talis, Chatterbox Amy, and Roughneck Carl, as well as Jeremy's parents, Alice, a librarian, and Gordon, Gordon Strangle, uh, an eccentric horror writer with uh, unorthodox money management practices. Um, no surprise, perhaps, with a middle name like Strangle. The story delves into the increasing complexity of Jeremy's life as he falls in love with both Elizabeth and Talis, uh, to the dismay of Carl, his luckless romantic rival, and his parents' marriage goes on the rocks as his mom discovers a serious fictive faux pas perpetrated by his dad. Uh, in other words, his dad has has put Jeremy into one of his novels, and it's not a horror novel so much as it's a, it's a novel about a boy who gets terminally ill and dies. Um, and his mom just is horrified by yeah. by this. She she might have been able to accept it if he put him in a regular novel in which uh, usually are full of giant spiders. Uh, if he'd been eaten by a giant spider, but this is this is something else. Um, but then there's also so you've got the family dynamic, friend dynamic going on. Um, but then uh, Kelly also places a second intertwined narrative uh, about a TV show called The Library. Um, it's a quirky program. Its origin is unknown. Uh, and Jeremy, his friends, his parents, his friends' parents, seems like everybody watches the library, um, which is uh, which is something like a mix of Doctor Who and the little Golden uh, Golden Book series, um, and with maybe some Buffy the Vampire Slayer thrown yes. in there. So. And yes, yes, that's maybe it. some some anime series too. I don't yes, know. absolutely. Um, its characters' fairy tale names, such as Prince Wing and Faithful Margaret, belie plot lines that include betrayal, sex, and murder. And the show's most fantastical character, Fox, uh, who is always played by a woman, but episode to episode, the same woman is, let's just say, morally ambiguous. In fact, all the characters are played by different actors every time, but you still kind of know who everybody yeah. everybody is. Uh, in the real world, the strain of Gordon and Alice's marriage coincides with her unexpected inheritance of a phone booth and a wedding chapel in Las Vegas. So she plans to take uh, Jeremy on the road for a few months to settle her distant relative's estate and to get some space from her husband. Uh, as Jeremy struggles with the impending absence from his father and friends, he begins placing calls to the phone booth, uh, connecting with a silent, unidentified listener who he believes with mounting conviction is Fox from the fictional show, The Library. Why did you choose? And it's it, again, like trying to summarize this story is very challenging because there's a lot of, yeah, there's, 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 there's plot, but there's so much more going on. Tell me first, why did you choose this story magic for beginners? You know, it's, it's interesting. It was, it was another one of those stories that I, I, I remember um, feeling that it was perhaps even denser than, than stone animals. I, oh. I, Stone animals had these elements in it that, uh, like the painting of the house or the rabbits, that I felt were were um, pregnant with symbolism. No pun yes. intended, <laughs> but were um, uh, but but magic for beginners just had has such um, uh, almost was saying excess of of elements. There's there's so many plates spinning on the yes. ends of, of so many canes. Yes, um, that I I. Um, when I got to the end, I, I remember just thinking, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> yes, and so many so, varying degrees of of um, kind of fan, of the fantastic. Some of yes. it being very just like like no, this is just like normal teenagers hanging out and they watch a show together. Yeah, you know, he's fallen in love with her. Wait, no, both of those girls like him and normal things. Some some problems between mom and dad. Um, yeah. And then the wild nature of the show, which sounds like an awesome TV show, right. somebody makes it someday. And then the the melding together of the narratives, which gets really, really bizarre. Yeah, I, I um, um, 
I think that was the part of what fascinated me, right, was was thinking that these kind of at least three levels of narrative where there's the, the narrative of the show, the narrative of the parents, and then the narrative of Jeremy and his friends. And obviously all of these things kind of crisscross one another. Yeah. I, I, I was like, there's, there's, there is, there, there's some way in which these are all reflecting slash refracting each other. And I, I really wanted another chance to try to sort of work through it. Yes. And it was, it was useful to me, honestly, to read it this time so closely in conjunction with Stone Animals um, and uh, and one of the other stories in the book called Lull, because all of a sudden I started to think, oh wait a minute, I I think that that Kelly is really really interested, at least in these stories about with family and with sort of dysfunctional families, if if you will, or, yes. or perhaps perhaps just normal complicated families. Yes. I, I mean, <laughs> perhaps you know, I've, yes. It, uh, as Tolstoy said, every family is dysfunctional in its own way. Yes. Um, but. Uh, um, so, so I was really interested to try to, to, to tease out what I think is, is happening, you know, yes, what, yes. what, uh, and, and almost using, uh, the, the benefits, I guess, of, of having read Stone Animals and Lull as, as like sort of searchlights to help me see better the, the terrain of, of magic for beginners, which, um, is possibly the longest story in the book. I meant to check that. I think it is. I, I think it, it might be. It's a, good, um, it's a good full story for sure. Yeah, I, yeah, and yeah. I, I, I agree. I think that it's as, as um, I think there's some real psychological um, depth to stone animals, some real, um, some, some st- real deep stuff that's going on there in the relationships with family. And then you get to magic for beginners and there is e- even more going on. Yeah. There is the, the psychological realism uh, and, and some of that's kind of the YA stuff between the teenagers and the, and the, and the kid, you know, Jeremy Mars, the, the lead character, I think, of the story uh, yeah. and his parents. And, and then you've got all the folding of these of this. I, well, here's what you start with. The very first thing that's said in, in the story is Fox is a television character and she isn't dead yet, but she will be soon. She's a character on a television show called The Library. You've never seen The Library on TV, but I bet, you, I bet you wish you had. In one episode of The Library, a boy named Jeremy Mars, 15 years old, sits on the roof of his house in Plantagenet, Vermont. Okay, already we've got so right. much going on. Um, this is a story about a boy in a... In a t- this is a story about a TV show called The Library. There's a boy in the library named Jeremy Mars. He's watching a show the, called, right, called The, the library. library. Right, right, right. So we already have, yeah, so what, what's going on here? And also like, who, who's narrating this? Uh, and that's right. one of my big questions. I, I, maybe you have some insight into this. No, the, I ordered the same thing because at, towards the end, there, there's at least one other moment where the narrator steps in and 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 you know sort of directly addresses you. But I don't, I, you know, as far as we know, it's, it's Kelly Link herself, or it's it's some other person, yes. some other you know. Maybe it's Jeremy, uh, possibly. Except it doesn't sound the voice doesn't sound quite right for for yeah. Jeremy. No, she was, the, the, I'm I'm calling her a she because I, I I guess it's Kelly, um, but she refers to she talks about a uh, for example um, she notes that um, the, Jer- Jeremy gets a call from a mysterious character at one point. Um, and that care that that other person on the other end of the phone line tells him uh, the titles of three books that he needs to write down. 
Um, the books are dangerous, the voice claims. And then the narrator who's writing the story in the text of the story notes in parentheses, they aren't titles that can be written down. It's safer not to even think about yeah, some yeah. books, close parentheses. The narrator yeah. is someone who, well, and that could have been Jeremy there, except there's another point where the narrator references like Jeremy and I, uh, you know, Jeremy. Uh, yeah, it's where, um, <laughs> yeah, let's see, it starts off with uh, Jeremy has wondered about what kind of television shows the characters in television shows watch. Television characters almost always have better haircuts, funnier friends, simpler attitudes towards sex, la, 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 la. Jeremy and I can forgive their haircuts. We just want to ask them about their television shows. So it's, it's yeah. It, right, right. Who is there, is, is it is... It's like Inception. They're at least three <laughs> steps down into the dream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the narrator refers to Jeremy and I. So it could, right. maybe it's Jeremy being clever, but it's who is it? Is it Fox? Maybe who's that narrator? Maybe Fox, clever Fox is. A, I don't know. I'm yeah, kind that, of I mean, it's, it's funny. Probably. I didn't. I didn't think about that one. That's actually really interesting. That that's a really interesting possibility because yeah. Fox is is this really mutable character that everybody is fascinated by. Yes. That, that everybody and and who apparently has been killed in the latest episode and everybody is freaking out freaking about freaking out. Yes, because that represents a really profound betrayal. Yes. And, and, and one of the things I, I think is is going on in this story, uh, especially, is you get these betrayals that, that keep happening over and over again. Yeah. So, so that Jeremy is, he's he's attracted to Talis, and yeah. so he makes out with her. But then he's also kind of like, eh. and actually I think he makes out with Elizabeth first. Yes. Um, and, and, and. Then he makes out with Talos, but then he sort of thinks, oh, but no, but I think I really like Elizabeth. I mean, he's, it's very... He's kissing Talos, and he can almost imagine kissing Elizabeth. It's, yeah, it's and, and so a bit duplicitous. Yeah, there, there's a bit of betrayal. And, and I'm not talking about, like, Dante-an levels of betrayal yeah. here. I'm <laughs> yes. talking about, like, adolescent levels of betrayal. Yes, yes. But his mom absolutely feels betrayed by his father using him in a book. And, yes. and using him in a, a book that is... Um, frighteningly realistic yes. in, in its portrayal of, of an adolescent getting sick of you know a terrible disease and dying. That yeah. that to her is is just unforgivable, or or at least if not unforgivable, it's, it's serious betrayal. It's a serious yes. trespass. Yes. Um, and then of of course, um, uh, what do you call it? Fox has been betrayed by by Prince Wing, who has yes. who has killed her, and and for for reasons that are a little dubious, you know, because she, because of what she might do after that. Um, and, and so you've got all this betrayal going on, um, at the, at the same time, at the, at the very, uh, you know, what we found out is, is that Jeremy's mom has, uh, has inha inherited, um, a wedding chapel in, uh, in Vegas, right? And a phone um, booth, a phone yeah, and booth, a phone booth and right? somewhere close by a wedding so, chapel called Hell's so the Bells. Thing is, Hell's it's Bells, like a, right? It's a wedding chapel for kind of strange people who, who want to get married in unconventional ways, it seems. Yeah. And, and so on the, on the, um, uh, which of course is a great ACDC song too, you know, yes. but, um, but it, it's the, the, the chapel itself, you know, so you think of like Vegas weddings and, and you think that, oh, I don't know if I exactly think of those as designed to last, you know? So, yes, so yes. It, it seems to be this place where 
you know, you're, you're going to go. And, and it's staffed, we find out at the end, by monsters, Frankenstein's monster, the yeah. vampire, you know. So so it's, it's um, it, 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 but, but they're also kind of cozy in, a, in an odd kind of way. Yes. They're, they're, they're like, oh, come on, come on, sit down with us. We're going to watch the All the freaks library. together in one family, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're all, yes. we're all coming together, you know. And, and, and the phone booth really fascinated me, in part because yes. they're, they're such a relic of the past in some ways, you know, at, at this point. Um, but but it, it strikes me that, you know, inheriting a phone booth, right, you know, it's it certainly is a place that will be useful for other people potentially to to call from. But for you, it's a place that you know, and it's a place that Jeremy calls. Um, and once in a while, somebody does answer, right? But but it's like you know, it's a place that you can call, and there's no guarantee there's going to be an answer. Yeah. Um. There, there's no. It's it's so it's it's so I'm you know I'm sort of thinking is this some kind of quasi almost like religious imagery you know where it's like you're sending out these messages right. you're trying to you're I, looking I, for contact and when there and when someone picks up the phone for the most part it's just silence it's a, a quiet interested silence I think is how it's referred to yeah and he's just kind of spilling his guts telling yeah. whoever's on the other side now he he thinks it might be Fox right. and that's that's yeah. really weird okay. Within the show, there's right. the show, and Fox is part of that level of the narrative. And and we all also know that Fox has just been killed. Fox is dead. Yeah, everyone's freaking out right. about it. But he thinks that it sounds like the first time he calls and someone answers, there's a squeaky voice saying, I can't talk now, kid. Call me later. And it sounds like Fox's voice. So right. he, he the, but the rest of the time he calls, and it's for the most part, yeah, just a peaceful, interested silence. Well, yeah. Right. So you think quasi religious, like you're praying, you know, right. I, and, and, yeah, I don't if, hear if, God, God's not talking back to me, but I kind of feel like there's someone listening to right. me. Or, or like even that. just the, even just the narrator. So think about that, yes, the narrator yes. of the story who's just like, eh, kind of, you know, I'm interested. What, what do, you, what do yes. these characters have to say to me? But, you know. Um, and I think that's true that it just, it just keeps unfolding, you know, like, like it just keeps the, the way the story works. I mean, is it just keeps unfolding and you just get to this, um, yeah, the, the end where here we are at the wedding chapel in Vegas, you know, we've, we've, we've come to the inheritance, right. And yes. what do we have, um, uh, uh, the, the show, the, the same yes. show we started, you know, so, so like, you know, is, is it a circular story when you get to the end and they're all sitting down and, and watching that could, um, could, could you just go back to the very beginning of the, of, uh, of the story? And could you just see, um, could, could, could you just see the, the story beginning, you know, that that's the, what they're watching is the story that they're in and that we're just in this sort of infinite loop. There's this bizarre, and I don't even know how to, I know it's meta, I'm thinking it might be, I don't even know how to describe this. I'm calling it meta recursive, but um, there's a moment, uh, well, much like stone animals, there's a moment where dreams start kind of things start invading Jeremy's dreams. And yeah. there's maybe this connection between these two levels of narrative, these two worlds, there's the, the real world, but of course it's on the show called the library. And then there's right, the, right. the world of the, uh, what is it called? The Free People's World Tree Library, which is that fantasy right. world. Um, right, right. Actually, uh, maybe perhaps in a way similar to Laird Barron's old leech world, where you got the real world and then you got antiquity, which is this kind of like ancient right, time, right. magical time. So you do have those kind of two worlds going on. Um, but uh, it says, um, you know, Jeremy dreams that he's sitting beside Fox on a sofa that his father has reupholstered in spider silk. And his father has a weird thing with getting couches off the side of the road people have abandoned and reupholstering, reupholstering them, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. he's a strange character i love him 
But uh, yeah, he's, his dad's reupholstered it in spider silk. And his dad writes all these horror books featuring giant spiders. His father has been stealing spider webs from the giant spider superstores from his, from his own books. Is that shoplifting or is it self-plagiarism? It's so, it's so self And then at the end of this dream, they're watching TV. Hey, look, Jeremy says, we're on TV. There he is on television, sitting between two foxes on a sticky gray couch. There's Elizabeth Fox and Talus Fox, um, his two friends image pictured as Fox uh, on a sticky gray couch in a field of red poppies. Um, it's, it's so, it just gets so um, complex in what's going on. I mean, I guess one of my questions is, are there two separate narratives here in the story or is it a single narrative? I'm not sure I, I could, or, or even more than two, you know, oh, yeah, to, to, yeah. does it, does it keep sort of refracting as it, as it goes? I mean, the, the, the world tree library, right. I think to myself of, of Yggdrasil from, from Norse mythology, yes, right. Yes. The, the world tree. And so is, is that because there's a reference to a band called the Norns. Yeah. Um, and, and so the three fates, right. you know, yes, so, yes, so at the same time, big spiders and trees also calls to mind Tolkien and the yes. Hobbit, you know, yes. and, and the, the spiders there. So, uh, but of course, Tolkien was, was very um, taken with and influenced by, you know, sort of Northern mythology. So, yeah. so the, the, the two things, you know, sort of echo with, with one another. Um, and, and is the, you know, is the story, I don't know how to put this, the, 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 is it, is it structured like a spider web in some weird way? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what that would mean, you know, yes. <laughs> like, I don't know, because, you know, you think that like a spider, like, we think of a, a spider web, right? Yeah, you it's, know, it's is, almost is, fractal type pattern. Yeah, 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 right? that, that it's, it's, that it's going, like that. Yeah. it's going out, right? So, so you can follow straight lines, certainly, you know, from, yeah. from, from a center out to the, to the margin, but depending on the kind of web it is, um, you know, like a cobweb, what they call a tangle web, you know, a sort of three more three-dimensional structure, yeah. you could just get turned, twisted and turned in, in yeah. all kinds of ways. So, um, you know, and, and the, the thing is that like his mom, Jeremy's mom is really angry at his dad and Jeremy's mom named Alice, you know, Alice in Wonderland. Yes. Falling yes. down the rabbit hole on that sort yes. of stuff. But um, she's really angry at his dad for, taking something from their real life and 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 writing it in his fiction as a realistic narrative or what we would call a realistic narrative she she's she's angry as i said earlier you know had um had jeremy's dad included jeremy in a in a narrative where he was eaten by giant spiders I don't think that would have bothered her. She yeah. would have been like, oh, it's yeah. just giant spiders, whatever. Yeah. But 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 so so he has changed genres, you know. He's 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 gone from from these horror stories that he writes to this this kind of of, of realist or naturalist story. And 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 that uh, that's that's a big problem too. So his trespass is not only using his son, but it's using his son in this kind of this particular kind of narrative. It's like yes. a narrative, like it's sort of a um, an order of narrative trespass or something yes. like that. Well, well, and his his son also, you know, it, it, okay, the dad's a shoplifter. I mean, he's like, yes, he, he is. He's he a is. shoplifter, uh, and there, uh, in fact, there's a uh, a wonderful passage in there where. Um, you know, he, he comes from a long line of, of, of thieves and long, right. long fingered 
uh, shoplifter types from his his forefathers, and he threw it all away to become a writer. Uh, they were very disappointed. Right, they're very disgusted at him. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But but his son re- realizes, oh man, dad not only that's embarrassing. His dad's a shoplifter, but not only is he shoplifter, he's shoplifted. He's stolen the kid's life. He's stolen Jeremy's own life, and it's it's yeah. getting to Jeremy that he would do that. I don't know that it would bother him as much, but he sees what it's done to his mom. Uh, and it's, well, it's he's, he's really terrified. He's really terrified of the thought that his parents are splitting up. Yes. That, that yeah. is, that is a profound anxiety that the, yeah. the story, um, you know, he, he says to each of them, are you guys splitting up? And they yeah. both say it's complicated. Yeah. We love each other, but you know, his mom is like, I need space, you know, and, and, I'm, and, and as we say, you know, the, the other side of going to Vegas, right. Is that's where you go for the quickie divorce. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, whether that, um, whether that's, I, I think it is floating around as, as well in the, in the, the background yes. um, to be in the sofa at the end certainly is, is a, 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 like a paternal space, you know, it's, it's a fatherly space, right. Um, yeah. To be there with the monsters. Those are the things that you associate with your, with your dad's work. So, you know, all of that Interesting. Seems yes. sort of, you know, seems sort of comforting in a, in a way. Um but then we still have that question about Fox and is, is Fox going to be, is she going to be okay? Is, yeah. uh, um, you know, I, I remember reading somewhere. I, I don't think Kelly told me this, but um, I, I think I remember reading somewhere that somebody asked her about this story and she talked about um, a time when she and Gavin, I don't know if they were living in the city or where they were, but anyway, they used to have friends come over and they'd have Buffy the Vampire Slayer watch parties. Like, <laughs> like when it, you know, when it was on, yeah. it was like, oh, well, you know, and, yeah. and so there is a little part of me that thinks that there's some of that, you know, that that, and, and maybe that was a kernel for the, for the story, you yes. know, the, yes. um, and the, and it also occurred to me too, that, you know, when, when the characters, are played by different actors every week or every episode, I guess I should say. It, it struck me that that is kind of what life is like. You know, one minute mm-hmm. you're the hero, the next minute you're the villain, the next minute you're the comic relief, that, you know, uh, the next minute you're, you're just like a sort of a background character. Yeah, having, that, a, having a, a repertory, you know, a, a repertory cast basically, and they'll go in and play the different characters. I think he mentions Prince Wing and Faithful Margaret are the only two who are played by the same actor in every episode. Yeah. And and they're like the lead, the main character is always the same two people, and thus they're the most boring. It's all these yeah, side yeah, yeah. characters that it that light his imagination on fire, I think. Because yeah, yeah, Fox, every episode, a woman plays Fox, but it's not, it's never the same woman episode to episode. And then, yeah, you'll see them, you'll see the actress kind of coming in and out and no one can recognize the act. These aren't any recognizable actors either. No one knows who yeah, they yeah. are. Yeah. The whole show is like, no, they advertise products like this euphoria drink. Um, right. <laughs> and, and it's not a real brand as far as they know. They don't even know where it's being produced. No one recognizes right. the locations or it's, it doesn't even go on the same channel. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. like it's it's on these weird kind of pirate TV ghost channels. So yeah, they have all these um, like internet chat rooms and back channels where they're trying to you know scanning channels to find out if the new episode's on. It's such a bizarre global phenomenon. Again, I think of like Doctor Who. It's kind of got that right. sort of a devoted following. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I just not that long ago, um, for the very first time, I'm embarrassed to say, watched uh, Videodrome. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, another another f- film that deals with a different kind of, of, of pirate TV uh, yeah. stations and, and such. But 
um, again, it was it was funny. I found myself thinking, are those like like are those even a thing anymore? You know, yeah. like like at least in the U.S., like maybe it would be more like sort of pirate or or I don't know what you, like YouTube channels or something along yeah. along those lines. You know, it, yeah. it, uh, so much of our TV has been taken over by streaming sources and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff that mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't know, uh, and maybe who knows? You know, the 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 mysterious dark web. Maybe maybe there there's there's uh, there's stuff. But, That's right. Um, well, of course, but, John, you're you're on it right now. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. This is the Cathonica podcast dark, right. on YouTube. This didn't it's, exist 20 years ago, so this is like this is now the the ghost TV, the ghost channel. I guess. Yeah, I guess. it's sort of it, it sort of is, and 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 to think that we will continue to haunt this channel, right? That, right. that we will continue our our digital presences will continue to to haunt this channel possibly you know. long after we're dead so yeah, yeah. How strange, yeah. hopefully how you know let's be let's be optimistic you know? <laughs> yeah that's right um it yeah it's interesting that we we learn i think about fox as a character what what she means especially the fact that she's a fox is maybe indicative or suggestive of of her overall role in the story um we learn in the first paragraph that fox dies Right. Jeremy and his friends spend a lot and, and the parents and stuff spend a lot of the story, most of the story, wondering if Fox is really dead. Right. But then that there's a shift and that transforms into Jeremy wondering if Fox is real. And I, I don't know if maybe, of course, from from my perspective as the guy who's here reading this book, um, Fox is as real as Jeremy. They're both characters in a story. I wonder right. if maybe Kelly is Kelly Link is challenging us to consider if our own lives um, are that much more real than our, our fictions. And I'll, I'll kind of come back to that when we wrap this up. Tell, tell me, what do you think about the, um, the meaning of the title Magic for Beginners? What's being suggested there? Oh, yeah, that's, you know, it's funny, I found myself thinking the same thing this afternoon as I was walking my dogs, I was like, you know, I've never thought about the, like, it works as a title for the book, you yeah. know, like, like, like a collection of stories, different stories, trying different things. But, but yeah, within within this story itself, right? Who are the beginners? Who, I, who go ahead, go ahead. I, I think I think I'm, well, I have an idea. I have a model that I worked out, and it makes sense to me. Well, first of all, you do have, of course, Jeremy and his friends, and they're like 15 years old, right? 15, yeah, yeah. 14, 15 in that time frame. So they're young people. And if you want to think of this as maybe a story for a, a young adult audience, or you think of them at least as young adult readers, they are beginners and they are being introduced into this world that does, I mean, at least the stories that, that are part of their world in the show, inside the show called The Library, there's magic there and there's kind of the magic, I suppose, of, of moving forward into, you know, into that maturation into adulthood. And it is mysterious. And you've got Jeremy kind of grappling with the fact that he, he likes Elizabeth a lot. Talis also is really attractive and he's she's very mysterious. He's attracted to her. You've got this uh, romantic rivalry of the, you know, luckless Carl, roughneck Poor Carl. Carl. He's, it's yeah. just hard. It's just, just, it's a tough life for Carl. And I, I get that. Um, but, uh, so maybe this kind of like mapping out the magic of life for these young people who are the beginners, but, you know, also Jeremy's parents, they're definitely not beginners. They're grown, but they have not outgrown the influence of the magic, whatever that is. Not at all. They incorporate it into their lives differently. Uh, Gordon creates magic in his, um, confined and constrained life. He's writing horror stories. He's creating his own magic mom kind of continues to pursue the possibilities of magic in her adventure to Vegas. 
taking kind of going to take ownership of the Hell's Bells wedding chapel. Um, but um, I, I suspect that, that Kelly Link uh, is trying to use the story to introduce magic to us, the readers, we're the beginners. And, she, and especially if, if you want to think of this as a story uh, that would appeal to young adult uh, readers. I think that what she's trying to do with the story is say, is tell us that we are inseparable from our stories. Yes, humans write fiction, but it's just as true that fiction creates us. Right, fiction um, writes us. Yeah. Fiction creates us, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah, absolutely. Look, we sit there, we communally, we communally can, uh, you know, I, I'm at church every Sunday. That is communal consumption of narrative. We right. all pack in, well, we, we packed into movie theaters before COVID and it's starting right. to come back. That is communal consumption of narrative. These kids are all sitting around watching a TV show, a Doctor Who type show, or it's Games of Thrones, or it's what we're all obsessed with these with these shows. And and as much as yes, yeah, somebody's sitting down and writing these stories, the fiction's creating us. And I, I think maybe she's trying to say that she's trying to introduce us to what fiction does to us. And there's this very much what's going on. In fact, she blurs the lines between the real world of Jeremy and his parents and his friends and the world of Fox, where at the, by the end, he's having a, a conversation with her. There's this amazing moment here. Um, and it is, let me see, I've got to find this, um, this little bit here um, where I mean, just, it just gives me shivers thinking about this. Um, I'm going to read just a little bit here. Uh, in the paperback, this on page 267, the narrator kind of stops in the middle of the story and says this. She writes, do you know how sometimes during a commercial break in your favorite television shows, your best friend calls and wants to talk about one of her boyfriends? And when you try to hang up, she starts crying and you try to cheer her up and end up missing about half of the episode. And so when you go to work the next day, you have to get the guy who sits next to you to explain what happened. That's the good thing about a book. You can mark your place in a book, but this isn't really a book. It's a television show. Well, no, it's a, it's a, it's right, a right, right, right. And then she continues in one episode of the library, an adolescent boy drives across the country with his mother. They have to change a tire. The boy practices taking things out of his mother's purse and putting them back in. He's practicing stealing books, which is a quest right. he's given. And it goes on to talk about, in kind of oblique terms, this boy and his mom traveling across, going to a library, which is the quest he believes Fox has given him, and, and taking the books, stealing the books from the library. Um, and then it kind of ends this section. Uh, once a man tries to break into the van while they are sleeping in it. But then he goes away. Maybe the painting of the woman, there's a painting of a woman. Right, with the apple. With the peeling knife is protecting them. But you've seen this episode before, is how that little section ends. Yeah, 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 yeah. She, Kelly's completely collapsing the structure between different, like the, 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 the barrier between the different narratives. And I wonder if she's trying to, in our minds, collapse the barrier between me, Greg, and the stories that I will consume any given day to say that fiction creates us as much as we create fiction now fiction's creating us maybe, yeah, there's, maybe there's, that's what she's going for there's it's funny because there, there were two th so, so the one that one thing i just want to say this before i forget it because Please. i know i will is that 
what's fascinating is that the stealing the forbidden books from the library, yeah. like that should be like a whole story in and of itself, yes. right? It might yes. even be, you know, but but instead she just kind of slides around that. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, it works. Don't worry. He leaves the books yeah. in the in the, the the phone booth. It's totally fine. Yes. Um, and and so the so there's something very interesting there. Again, it's that sort of omission, right? Of of just sort of saying, you know. I, um, uh, I'm not going to really like, like, is the house haunted? You know, you know, like, like, um, I'm going to do, and, and it's interesting that in doing that, of course, and stealing those books, he's also fulfilling a kind of mythic role, right? He's becoming like his father. He's, he's, and that sort of, you know, pickpocketing, you could certainly see that as, as a form of sort of sleight of hand kind of of stuff, uh, prestidigitation, right? Yes. Um, Yes. But it, it also, um, I was thinking about the way uh, trying to think about this, like, like, like fans and fan culture. And, and, and I don't actually mean that in a pejorative kind of way, Uh, Um, but, but maybe something like people who are passionate about things, people who are aficionados of things. But I was thinking about the way that, that um, at the simplest level, when you read a great book or you see a great movie and um, especially if you're in the middle of a great book and there are times it can feel as if being um, it's it's almost more real. What's happening in the book is more real than your own yes. life. And you sort of, you know, something or, or um, you know, again, something happens on a TV show and you wander around, you're like, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, it was the last episode of Buffy and they killed Buffy. And what and, happened? And you it's know? more real to you. I mean, in, in every sense that matters, it's more real to you than what you're actually having to do, than the task you're doing at work that day, yeah, scooping ab- out ice cream and putting in cones or whatever you're doing. Absolutely. So, so that that thing is, is the reality, like in which your reality exists. It, yes. it, it's sort of, it, it's not the way, like, like the way that, that um, we would think about it. And I guess like a, a good, you know, um, what normative psychologist would be like, listen, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is what's real, you know, yeah. Game of Thrones is the story, but it, but it feels as if, no, that fiction is what's real and, yes. and you are, you know, what you're within <laughs> is, is not quite as real. And, and which is uh, why I wonder if that title magic for beginners, the magic is possibly the spell that she's weaving that Kelly link is weaving over her readers and especially young ones to open our eyes to a truth that society and maturity have have rejected. Uh, And that truth is that fiction is as real as physics. Um, Yeah. And I I think too, that, you know, the, the, what's interesting too, right. Is, is, you know, the, what the kids are going through that, that, that communal experience of all loving this show. And, and we, we, we know that they've loved it since they were in grade school, Mm -hmm. but, but that is a form of magic too. That, that, that form of community is that that's a form of magic. Obviously what, um, what Jeremy's experiencing and exploring with the girls is its own form of magic. Yes. Um, yes. And um, I think, um, I, I think part of the, you know, it's interesting, right? Because where his parents are at, um, I, that doesn't feel like magic quite for beginners. That feels like, 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 like I'm not saying it's not magic. I, I'm just yeah. saying that, that like the stuff that his dad is doing and even the stuff that his mom is doing, those that that might be another kind of 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 um maybe darker magic or, or yeah. just just mature magic yes. magic for people yes. who are further along you yes. know they're yeah they're not the beginners and yet there is still something well the fact that they can both uh, gordon and alice are captivated by the library maybe not as much as the kids 
but like yeah but when, they still when, they still watch it they do and when gordon says uh you know his son starts to hint hey did mom tell you what happened to fox he's like oh shit did they kill fox and he's like really right. like it's exactly like what you'd hear around the water cooler the, the you know day after right right uh, well the, 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 the last episode missed, of game of thrones if you were yeah. the person who missed the the last half of the show right because you were talking to your crying friend yeah and the next day you've got to be like what happened oh my god they killed yes. fox how did yes. that yeah, I wish I, I, um, I mean, I think of foxes as trickster figures. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like mythologically, like, like that seems to be something that kind of cuts across um, a, a lot of cultures is the image of the fox as the, as the trickster and possibly even as, I, I wonder if foxes um, can cross sort of magical thresholds. I've, mm-hmm. I've seen them in, in Stephen King and, um, Owen King's novel, uh, Sleeping Beauties, they use the fox as, as uh, which is much more recent, they yeah. use the fox as this thing that can cross from one reality to uh, to another. And I just, I, I wonder if that's something, I, I would bet that there are, you know, traditions of that somewhere, yeah. in some yes. kind of folklore, so that, yes. that it may be that fox is able to to cross from the, you know, or, or among all these different, these different realities. Yeah. I think the Japanese have the, the Kitsune figure of this, like this um, amazing nine tailed Fox who was very kind of a divinity type creature who was very wise. And um, so, yeah, there's probably some traditions in there. I feel like the though, isn't there also uh, like an, like a sort of Fox woman in, in what I'm thinking about now is there's a, there's a Neil Gaiman, there's a Sandman graphic novel about a fox woman there, there's a fox woman huh. in it and i feel like she's kind of a sinister figure like the yeah, fox yeah. Eric. but, but it, it's so long ago I, yeah I, uh, <laughs> yes. sorry neil as if neil gaiman is like how yeah. dare you, you yes know? yes well we, well yeah I, I i don't think he's gonna see this podcast but you know if he does you, you never know it. you know because because kelly link might watch might be like what's this and then she'll call him up and be like neil listen to me yes okay so kelly link if you're watching this or listening to this <laughs> We we do think you're magnificent, and uh, and we're I'll tell sorry. You what, we're sorry for everything we got I, wrong. I'm really sorry. I called I called the boss in Stone Animals and the alligator uh, instead of the crocodile, uh, and it's because I grew up in St. Augustine, Florida, and there are alligators all over the place. So I have alligators on the brain. Um, and she's got and some, by the way, in, in Get in Trouble, there's some good description of like Florida, like Miami, where she uh, was born and, and raised. And she gets, she gets Florida, gets Florida pretty well. Um, uh, do you have any, uh, like a favorite passage out of um, Magic for Beginners you'd want to read? Man, let's... Uh, so many amazing uh, descriptions in, in here. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's... it's um... I mean, even even just um, man, I, I don't even know. Can I? I'm gonna you, look. I'm gonna read one real quick. Because yeah, go ahead. Go this ahead. is not like a major plot point. It's a it's simple character description. Well, there's nothing simple about it. It's absolutely brilliant. Jeremy's mother is quiet more often than not. Her name is Alice, and sometimes Jeremy thinks about how the two quietest people he knows are named Alice and Talis. But his mother and Talis are quiet in different ways. Jeremy's mother is the kind of person who seems to be keeping something hidden, something secret, whereas Talis just is a secret. Jeremy's mother could easily turn out to be a secret agent, but Talis is the death ray or the key to immortality or whatever it is that secret agents have to keep secret. Hanging out with Talis is like hanging out with a teenaged black hole. 
I just, oh yeah. my gosh, that's yeah. that's just amazing. I love that. And there's something something she does to she loves wordplay of a particular yes. kind. She's um, you see this more in, in in lull, but it's still present in in the other two stories. She she's fascinated by um, palindromes, yes, uh, and by and by almost palindromes by by sort of by by palindromes that that somebody tweaks just a little bit wow. you know and and so um so so that you recognize the palindrome but you're also like nah but you can't quite read that backwards you know and, yes. and i i think um i think that there's there's I was going to say that, that some of her stories, not all of them, but there's definitely an interest in, in sort of the mutability of identity. And, and that yes. may just be what we were talking about, you know, depending on, on where you are, what narrative you find yourself in at a particular point in your life, you may be the villain, you may be the hero, mm. You, mm. you may be, you know, the background character, um, yeah. you may be the romantic rival or, or, or what have you. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I would just, um, like this, um, let's see here. So, so this is you had actually read a little bit of this. So, but I just want to read a little Please. bit more. Where Jeremy is is on the roof of his house, um, and um, with his friend Elizabeth, um, they've sneaked out onto the roof. It's cold. They don't know everything they should know about X. When X is the square root of Y, they don't even know why. They ought to go in. But there's nothing good on TV and the sky is very beautiful. They have jackets on and up in the corners where the sky begins are patches of white in the darkness, still where there's snow up on the mountains. Down in the trees around the house, some animal is making a small anxious sound. Why cry? Why cry? What's that one, Elizabeth says, pointing at a squarish configuration of stars. That's the parking structure, Jeremy says. And right next to that is the big shopping mall and the lesser shopping mall. And that's Orion, right? Orion the bargain hunter? Jeremy squints up. No, Orion is over there. That's the Austrian bodybuilder. The thing that's sort of wrapped around his lower leg is the amorous cephalopod. Hungry, hungry octopus. It can't make up its mind whether it should eat him or make crazy eight-legged love to him. You know that myth, right? Of course, Elizabeth says. Um, you know, oh, there, there's wow. just a, a sort of like 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 wacky kind of inventiveness, which which is there also in this in in the 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 library the concept of the show the yes. library itself you know that that just that the, you know kelly is just um in in these stories she's one of those writers who is you know just sort of endlessly inventive it, the, it feels the, the like the sheer you know? imaginative power uh, it's, yeah, it's really and, and stunning fecundity, yeah. that it's just that there's yeah. just like you know she just throws off all these Wait. little concepts so, so when she says write less I, I, maybe it's write fewer stories and but do you think man how rich this is that she could take that section of narrative that you mentioned where okay here's the part of the story where jeremy actually goes into this library in idaho or wherever it is and steals these three books it's just referenced because she has could be, that could be an exciting scene. No, she has another right. purpose here, which is to talk about how narrative works and and blur that line between our what we think of as real lives and and the fictions that we create. Um, oh man, it's just so rich. Um, she is yes. Uh, she, I I think she's she's working some kind of magic on the reader, um, and she she is a cerebral sorceress. Um, so yeah, 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 yeah. No, and I I think that too that that. You know, the story comes back to, as Stone Animals does, in, in a lot of ways, this unhappy family setup. Um, and, and there's something very poignant about that, that through the middle of, of this, and, and the, the sort of one of the through lines of this, right, is, is this family that is breaking apart. 
Um, maybe for good, maybe Mm -hmm. just temporary, but it's still going to be a kind of a trauma. Um, I I mean, and, and so in, in that regard, it it may be that that's why the, we don't get the library theft scene in in a way is, is because it's a kind of narrative that's a little bit more out of place. It's a successful quest. You know, he does what he's supposed to do. He steals them and, and he, they're, they're removed from circulation and he puts them away and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, so he, you know, he saves the world as it were, but, but that's, that's not as significant, um, or, or it's not, it's not a story of betrayal. Um, and and I think the, the more and more I think of this, I think both these stories actually, to be honest, are dealing with, with levels of betrayal and and Mm -hmm. with, with families that are, um, in crisis and, and are cracking. Um, uh, I think in the case of stone animals, probably like permanently in the case of this story, I'm not sure. I, I have, um, I'm, I'm off, you know, eternal optimist. I, I think the family's got to get it together. The mom's going out and doing what she has to do, which is kind of her own vision quest or whatever. She's going yeah, to go yeah. and explore her, her great aunt's estate that she's inherited and it's bizarre. And she's going to get out and hopefully get her frustration with, with Gordon, who's a strange man. And he has strange, right. well, he's an eccentric and all that. Um, she's going to hopefully go and get that out of her system. And I, I don't get, I don't get the sense that they're at such odds as like Henry and Catherine, there's just like a deep seated sickness, I think in both of them that's coming yeah. out in this bad situation. Um, but no, it's, it's, it is left uh, unresolved. And also you don't know um, if, if uh, Jeremy has somehow saved Fox that's the question that he's a- that that he is asking when he's sitting there on on the couch at the very end, and they're they're going to start watching the new episode. And we're going to find out what he's uh, what he's done. Has he saved right. Fox or not? So that's it. it kind of leaves you on this cliffhanger, right? Which is you know that's what stories do, right? They give you cliffhangers right. and stuff. But yeah, uh, but even that's kind of unresolved. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. what stories are about. Um, they they both map they both map out reality these are the sorts of things that happen this is part of the human experience but also they misdirect and they mystify well mad- maddeningly, maddeningly so and and that is just like life itself um so yeah it's a it's a, it's a, a a real like deep reverie on um the role of stories in our lives i guess yeah i think uh, so and I, yeah. I think that it's it's um on, on the one hand, you know, I read these stories and I feel like, wow, this is like a masterclass in, in storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, and, yes. and trying to, as I said, it was part of the reason I wanted to, to, to talk about these stories with you was to have that chance to, to really sort of pull them apart with somebody else, you know, so it's yes. not just like me thinking, you know, but to really try to, to, to pull them open and, and see um, uh, what, wh- how they're working, how, how the different levels are connected and even possibly how the stories in a sense are connected to, to one another. Yes. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I, for anybody who's, who's, uh, um, who's made it this far, yeah. um, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> just, you know, I, I do want to stress that, you know, they're, they're also, they're, they're a lot, they're compelling stories. Yes. Um, and, and it's, it's to a certain extent, I feel like it's only when I get to this stage, when sort of talking it through, where I'm like, "Damn, that's really dark." You yes, know, that's that's yes. really like like when when you when you dig down um, to 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 some of the heart of it, not all of it, but I think some of what of, of what's driving it, that there's a, a real kind of a core uh, uh, element of of pain 
and mm-hmm. of of families that are that are under stress and the, and the, as as you're saying, you know, maybe maybe sundering and and yeah. Um, so so there's also a kind of a, a deep kind of um, I don't know it's pathos exactly, but maybe maybe yeah. that, that the stories are 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 incorporating with within themselves. So yes. they are they're, they're sort of deeply cerebral, but also deeply human. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. In a way that that isn't always the case. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a blast. Um, John, thank you so much for for your time and your thoughts on this and for pointing me to a couple of amazing stories. I'll tell you, Magic for Beginners. Well, I'm I'm just going to have to go back and read everything she's written. Um, Yeah, yeah. uh, Including this maybe upcoming 1,000 page novel that, yeah, I understand she just uh, turned into her editor. uh, She's been saying on Twitter that she, you know, she she wrote this giant novel and she's finally, and I kind of love that there's something I really love about the fact that she's known for just these, you know, four, four, sorry, three and a half collections of stories. And then she writes this gigantic novel. Yes, There's something about that I find really, really appealing. Yes. That is the coolest thing ever. Uh, uh, If you're not following Kelly Link, these are my most awesome graphics here. Go to at has zombies in it. That is her on Twitter. Make sure you follow her. And, and of course, be sure to follow John Langan, I believe. Is that the correct Twitter address? That's there? right. At Mr. At Gone. Mr. Gone. Yeah. And John, yeah. tell us, tell us what you're working on now. What do we have um, to look forward to? Oh my goodness. Well, um, so I have a few stories that have come out um, or are coming out. So there's an anthology of, um, uh, stories inspired by Robert Chambers, The King in Yellow, uh, mm-hmm. edited by James Chambers, as far as I know, no relation, um, oh. un- Under the Yellow Sun, I think it is. Yeah. I have a story in that. Um, I'll have a story in uh, the Shirley Jackson tribute anthology. I'm so excited uh, about that. That's going to be amazing. It, it's, a, it's, it's, it's possibly the shortest story, one of the shortest stories I've ever written. Uh, wow. uh, that'll be out soon. Um, I have a story in a book called The Bad Book, uh, yeah. edited by John Taff, which mm-hmm. is a collection of stories inspired by the Bible. Yeah. Um, I have a story, I have a story in, in, uh, Chiral Mad, uh, five. I'm, I'm not sure. I think that's due out next year. Okay. Um, I'll have a story in the Matthew Bartlett tribute anthology, which oh, should yes. be out. I think, I think maybe September. Was it um, like hymn, hymns of abomination? Hymns of like abomination. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, as I said earlier, my my um, first collection, Mr. Gone, uh, another yes. one of these encounters, is being reissued by Word Horde. Um, I'm at work on. I'm trying really hard to to finish quickly a new story for that, just because. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's going to have a, a beautiful new cover by Matthew Jaffe, the same guy who did uh, the cover for Children of the Fang. Oh yeah. Um, and then my um, my fifth collection, Corpse Mouth and other autobiographies, uh, should be out around Halloween. And again, I'm trying to finish the new story. Good story notes for so that. this is the year of John Langan. I mean, this is well, a, it's just one of those things where out. a lot of stuff is just kind of yeah. um, just kind of piled up. The the um, I, I wrote a story for this anthology that that Tor is putting out called uh, I think it's Dark Stars um, with uh, Josh Mallerman's in it, Cheshire Burke, and um, I. Th- it was originally intended to be out in late October. I'm sorry, late November. I I think it may have been pushed back, but I may be mm-hmm. wrong about that. So, wow. but if it's been pushed back, it's only to like February. It's okay, not. Cool. It's not like fatally long. And I'm trying to finish a story for. Um, uh, I mean, and I have written. I'm just trying to finish typing a story for uh, an Ellen Datlow um, monster anthology. Nice. So. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, and there's a few other things, but, but yeah, that, that's, uh, uh, I need to write it, you know, um, I, I need to get on with 
with uh, with another novel, but you know, I've got yes, to yes. um, want to get these things done first. Awesome. Wow. Well, I'm so excited to, um, to well, one, get to these wonderful collections. Uh, one of which I listened to the audiobook of um, uh, Wide Carnivorous, uh, The Wide Carnivorous Sky, Technicolor. I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna just so you know, I'm gonna like ping a couple of other horror authors like yourself and say, tell me, a, give me a story or two by an author you really like and do the same kind of format. And I'm hoping someone will say, let's talk Technicolor by John Langan, <laughs> because it's still, I still get incensed that I didn't see it coming. Um, the ending on that one, it's just completely brilliant. Uh, but Thank yeah, so you. many, oh, and, and yeah, if you don't, if you, uh, folks, if you haven't read The Fisherman by John Langan, this is the one that people keep coming back to. It's only, it, it came out in 2016. It's not very old, but this is, um, it has really become a modern uh, classic of cosmic horror. Uh, and what people say about it is it's so beautifully written, so dark. And it's just like, um, people just love the, they love the prose in it. Um, and it just, there's something about like that classic of cosmic horror that, uh, that is captured there that people love. But then yeah, Sapphira and, uh, and Children of the Fang, uh, awesome. I, I'm so excited to dig into these collections. Yeah. And, and, and Safira is, I mean, Safira itself, the, the story is actually, that was the, the novel I wrote next. It's, it's only about, uh, it, it's like a short novel. It's, it's yes. about 50,000 words. So cool. that was the novel. It's, it's, it's its own thing. It's, it's very different from, uh, from the, the fisherman, but yes. um, if you're looking for sort of like novel length entertainment, you know, that uh, um, it's just, it was, I suppose I could have tried to publish it um, as its own thing, but mm. it just felt better to have it with these other stories because thematically they, they connected with one another. Nice. That's awesome. Great. Well, again, uh, thank you so much, uh, John Langan, for joining us today. Um, thank you so much you, for having me. Absolutely. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at, at igregreen, green with an E on the end. And this is the Kathonica podcast. Thanks for joining us. You can also, if you uh, if you want to take this on the road with you, go look up Kathonica, C-H-T-H-O-N-I-C-A on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're out there. Um, and uh, John, have a great, uh, great uh, upcoming week and we will talk to you soon. Thank you very much, Greg. Take care. Mm, you too.